Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. And the Mets in the midst of hunting for a new general manager, so catch up with the former Mets general manager. You can hear him on SiriusXM, the always interesting Steve Phillips. And uh, Steve, thanks for coming on. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. You too. Uh, so what would you, as someone who's been in the seat and knows what it is to be the Mets general manager, what would a potential candidate need to know about that job? Well, it's, you know, every job's complicated. I mean, that's that's the thing is. And I think they've got to, you know, anybody coming in is going to want it defined as to who's there and what everybody's role is. I mean, I think that's going to be critical for anybody coming in so that they understand you know, the, the sort of framework of, of who they're working with and what the, the reporting chain of command is. Now, I'm, I'm a, more of a big chain of command sort of a guy. I want there to be clearly defined job descriptions and roles for people. Uh, I don't want them to overlap. I don't want people to have authority uh, without responsibility. Uh, I need to know that as a general manager that everybody in the baseball department reports to me uh, and that, uh, you know, that my relationship with ownership is the one that channels everything, uh, and uh, you know, and, and and I'm not sure that's. I mean, I don't know whether that's going to be the case. You know, there's there's a, a belief there that uh, you know they can have a what they call a collegial relationship, where there's a free flow of information from the top down and from the bottom up, uh, which means that people can you know sometimes go from the lower level of an assistant trainer to the owner if they want, and and it's okay. Uh, I tend not to like that structure. I want there to be a chain of command so that there's there's a fabric and a structure to the organization. So that's something that has to really be defined. And, and, and the Mets aren't the only one like that. There's a lot of organizations that, you know, there are a lot of people with different titles that you just need it, need it to be clearly defined as to what the structure is. And then what are the expectations? Like, you know, what is what is success? Is it winning? Is it making money? Is it, uh, you know, breaking even? Is it, you know, rebuilding for a couple of years and winning down the road? Like, what what are the expectations of the position? Because uh, I think that's going to be important as well. Otherwise, you know, people might, uh, might not, uh, if they don't agree with that being a plan. For instance, in San Francisco right now, uh, a guy like Ben Charrington had his name in, in San Francisco, but he's pulled his name out of consideration, I think, because he probably looked at San Francisco – and I would go into an interview there and say, you need to completely rebuild. Mm-hmm. You need to trade away guys. You need to rebuild your farm system. You need to start to build it from the ground up. And they may look at it and say, yeah, but we've got this business plan where we're selling all these tickets. And if we do that, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're going to lose the people that are coming out to the ballpark. And I'm going to say, we're going to lose them either way. Uh, and you've got a chance to get them back more quickly if you rebuild than if you try to win with all these old guys that you're stuck in the middle with right now. Uh, and so I think that, that making sure that your belief is in sync with the belief of the organization is critical as well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be messy in San Francisco. You have so many legends in that franchise as well, but uh, as you mentioned, they are they are aging. And you look at the Mets situation here as we chat with Steve Phillips, if you just look at it from the roster you're inheriting, the farm system you inherit, uh, and the fact that it is in New York, this should be an attractive job, no? Well, it is. It is and it isn't. Uh, I mean, here's why. I think the Mets are, are, are a little bit one of those teams stuck in the middle as well uh, because, you know, you could look at the framework of the roster and think, okay, well, I like some of the starting pitchers, but they all come with some level of unpredictability because of health, like all of them. 
uh, have some level of unpredictability. I like some of the position players, but there's some unpredictability of health. Like, I don't know what Cespedes is going to be, and he's a critical part of it. You've got uh, four outfielders for three spots. You don't really have a first baseman. Um, and, you know, I think Todd Frazier would be better served as kind of the first base, third baseman backup and have an everyday player at first and everyday player at third and let Frazier be the guy that spells those two guys, and you need a catcher. Uh, and so that's a lot of and, only, and you need a closer to rebuild your rotation. And even with all of that, you still have some unpredictability with health of the rotation, but maybe you go for it, but you don't have a real farm system. And so we can maybe try to compete for the next couple of years but if it and, and even with that, you've got some questions uh, that you're going to be able to because you didn't really compete last year. You thought you might be able to. And you don't really have much of a farm system to be that feeder. So at some point, you're going to have to trade some guys to restock your farm system, because if you play it out to the end, try to win with everybody, let them go to free agency. Then you then you're really starting two years from now, starting to restock a farm system and you're two years chasing your tail until you get there. So the Mets are interesting. But they're also somewhat complicated. Well, the the farm, it's not great, but it's in a far better position than it was at, say, this time last year, is it not? It's it's yeah, I think there's there's some guys, but it's not it's not the feeder system yet. I mean, that's the thing, is it's not really the feeder system. You're not anywhere near where the Blue Jays are right now, as they're getting ready to you know, for their rebuilding, they're ready to you know, break in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Sure. At some point, Boba Shad. At some point, Kevin Biggio. Uh, they've got the Danny Jansen kid up there. You know, they're not where the Yankees are with that sort of depth right now. Uh, and so they have some some potential impact guys, some of them a little further away. But they like some of their guys. But, you know, it's not really the feeder system yet. It's not like two years from now that they've got this whole system the way you want it. You want to have waves of talent. So you've got some upper-level guys ready to hit the big leagues. As they get ready to impact the major league level, you've got that next group of guys to come in to be able to protect some of the other veterans who are aging or to be able to trade some guys to fortify your major league roster. You need depth of players to play for you and trade to be able to supplement your roster during the course of the season. That's the level of depth that the Mets don't have. Mm. And we're talking again with Steve Phillips, uh, former general manager of the Mets here on Sirius XM. As far as how the Mets are handling the interview process, uh, the first interview will be with Jeff Wilpon as well as John Ricco, the assistant general manager. And then uh, down the line when there are final candidates, Fred Wilpon will get involved. How, how differently would a candidate have to approach, let's say, Jeff and Fred in terms of their philosophies on the game to try to win both of them over? Yeah, I think it's. I, I think Jeff is probably more the guy that will be breaking down the everyday responsibilities of the general manager and what his expectations are. Fred will certainly have some of that, but I think at this stage, Fred's probably more the macro view of you know what's your general philosophies, your general sort of approach. Because I don't think Fred's as involved as Jeff is on a daily basis anymore. Uh, so Fred's going to want to make sure you've got a good representative of the organization, that you're going to be a good spokesman for the organization, uh, that, you're, you know, that you understand analytics, that you understand people, uh, that, you know, because I think they're going to look for more of the hybrid executive, not somebody who's strictly analytics, is uh, uh, strictly, you know, what I see is what I believe uh, in some combination of the two. Uh, but, you know, and, and I think the other important question here is, do they want somebody with experience or do they want a fresh 
mind, a fresh voice, a young guy who hasn't done it just yet. Um, you know, I think that that um, it's easier for Jeff in his level of involvement if it's somebody who has less experience, right? Because they can kind of grow together in in that role, and Jeff can have a little bit more input there. Uh, a more experienced guy will likely say, "I got it." I'll, I'll let you know what I'm doing, but I got it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little different sort of relationship. So I think that will be an interesting part of this, right? That it's easier to manage a new guy, a young guy, like I was. It's easier for, for Fred to have more involvement in, in, in that than he was for Sandy Alderson because Sandy, you know, had done it before. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he's an older, more mature guy. Uh, you don't have to kind of grow up with them at the big league level. So I think that dynamic will be very interesting as well. How active was Fred in your time as GM? Was it simply you go to him, hey, I want to do this, and it gives you a thumbs up, thumbs down? How would you describe it? I, 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 Fred was very active. Uh, I mean, I talked to Fred probably every day for the six years I was general manager, maybe twice a day. And on the weekends and the off season, I talked to him all the time. And, and we became very close uh, because of it. Uh, he was he was active on a daily basis, and and that involvement, you know, I think that that you know every owner is different, everybody's style is different, uh, and you know Fred was he played devil's advocate, which I like, you know, he challenged the thinking, right? So he didn't he didn't say this is my belief. He would ask questions to challenge the thinking to make sure that we're doing our due diligence. You know, my belief was I'm going to kill him with information. So that he understands that we're we're looking at this from every possible angle, and I wanted that too, right? So I when I would interview, you know, interview when I would meet with my staff, you know, and they would have ideas, I would challenge the idea, even if I thought it was the right idea. I'd say, yeah, but what about this? Well, what about that? And I'd want to hear every angle and every side of it. Fred does a lot of that too, and did a lot of that in those sorts of meetings uh, when we get everybody together there, and and. Uh, uh, you know, and, and so he was pretty active uh, back then. And, and uh, I don't think he's nearly as active anymore. I think Jeff probably takes on more of that day-to-day sort of, of, of uh, you know, being part of those conversations. And sometimes you just have to listen and you come out of it thinking, all right, well, these guys are really looking at it from every angle. Good. Go get them. Sometimes you ask questions just to make sure they know that you're still involved in it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that in the long run, they'll let the baseball people make most of the decisions uh it will just you know they'll work within a framework of a budget business plan is there a person that you think is the best fit for this job well you know it's so hard to know like i like i i really like ben Sherrington. i think he's but he's he's not really in it anymore uh and uh but i really would have liked him to be a candidate for it uh but i think he can kind of wait pick and choose a little bit they got some really big things happening in toronto with some of their young guys that that he can wait for the right job for him uh, to be part of it all. Uh, I love Tim Nering uh, with the Yankees. Uh, you know, now I don't know necessarily whether that's going to be the right fit for Nering uh, or whether the Mets will go that road, but I'd love to bring over some of that Yankee analytics, some of that Yankee way of thinking, to, you know, to steal some of that information. I think it'd be huge for them uh, to be able to do it. Now, David Stearns with the Brewers does a terrific job. I can't imagine why they'd let him out of his position there. He's done a, tr- a great job for them. Um, you know, Jared Porter with the Diamondbacks is a name that a lot of people have respect for, as is Jason McLeod. You know, anybody who's worked with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer in Chicago would absolutely be somebody that I would 
would want to be involved with and would give some strong considerations to. Uh, and he's been in charge of player development and scouting there. He's been side-by-side side with Theo and a lot of the decisions-making they've done there and the way of thinking and the analytics and the growth and everything, and it's a large-market team, which I kind of like. Uh, so, you know, I could see McLeod being a guy that uh, could get some strong consideration. How about uh, Gary LaRock, who's your scouting director when you're the general manager of the team? Uh, what, what are some of his strengths and weaknesses? Uh, I tell you, if, if, if Gary can be included in this, I mean, I, I'm shocked that he hasn't been a general manager. Part of it is he's not a self-promoter at all. And, and, and in, in some ways, probably to his detriment for his career, because there is some part of it that if you want that job, you got to put yourself out there a little bit. He doesn't ever do that. He is as organized and as detailed a guy as there is in the game. Uh, huge in player development and scouting. Has a great eye for talent. Has a great eye for organization. He brought us, you know, when I, when I brought him in, he got us, you know, with our computers, you know, up to, to speed with how far we were lagging behind there. Uh, he has, has drafted players, he's developed players, he's hired and fired coaches and scouts, uh, absolutely negotiated contracts. He's, a treme- he's got a great resume for it, and I know he is so well-respected in St. Louis right now where they keep getting this, this feeder system of young talent coming up. That's Gary LaRock. That's him overseeing player development and scouting uh, in St. Louis. So uh, I think he'd be a terrific candidate uh, to be a general manager uh, he just never seems to have gotten his due, and he's a worker bee. He's not a guy that's out there, you know, doing every interview, wanting to do it. He just goes about his business, but a very well-respected guy in the industry. Key time for the Mets as they fill their general manager void uh, sometime here over the next couple of weeks, uh, perhaps months, but uh, the Mets looking to get that done. And Steve Phillips, great insight as always, Steve. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Uh, Steve Phillips, giving you, you know, what it is to be in that seat as the Mets general manager and uh, a little extra on some of the names that we do here uh, are involved is uh, John Heyman of FanRag Sports at uh, the latest today. Uh, Doug Melvin, Gary LaRock, Kim Eng, and uh, Dijon Watson, they will interview. Uh, and according to Heyman, six to eight other candidates that are unknown all in the mix as well. As the Mets have said, they'd look at some non-traditional candidates. So uh, we'll see. We might not even find out exactly how non-traditional the Mets are willing to go, but you have a, a fairly traditional list thus far as far as the publicly known names.